listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Brittany, if I haven't met you before, I have been a part of Red for about eight years, um, and I am one of the pastors here. I've been doing that for about two years. Um, yeah, and it's just a delight to be here this evening with you guys. Um, I know many of you, some of you I don't, but I look forward to getting to know you. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to be up here this evening sharing. I um, had a really interesting experience the other day. I was on my way home from my Sabbath. And I was just driving um, through Hillsville, and I was making this turn out of the corner of my eye. I saw someone that I was like, I think I know them. And there's moments where you kind of just get a glimpse of someone. Um, and this person had to be someone I did nursing with. I used to be a nurse, but that was probably like nearly three, four years ago. So I haven't actually really seen her since then. Anyway, I just was like, that's too much of a coincidence to ignore. I'm in the car. What are the chances of me turning and seeing this person at this, this time? So I was like, I'm going to follow that up, see if I still have her number. So I went through my phone and just messaged her. I was just like, hey, it's been so long. Anyway, we're going back and forth. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes it's, those, it's a bit of an odd conversation to have with someone after it's been four years when they're like, so what's, what's been happening? It's kind of like, I don't know, how do I sum up four years over text? Uh, so I'm a pastor now. Um, don't know, what else? Not doing nursing. Anyway, we're going back and forth. And then all of a sudden, I just kind of had this grief um, of not being able to actually genuinely share what's been going on. In the last four years, the way that God's actually changed a lot of my life or transformed things in my life, for some of the struggles I've faced. And I just realized there's so many opportunities we have to actually tell two stories when we meet with people, and whether it's been a long time or whether we see them regularly. Sometimes we can just talk about our circumstances. Oh, yeah, I got a promotion at work. Or actually, things have been really hard. Or we have a, another opportunity to talk about actually how we've met God in those circumstances and what he's up to. I think God's inviting us to be storytellers. And I think what that looks like is actually stopping and recognizing where God has been ourselves because it's really hard to tell a story that you don't know or you haven't recognized yet. And so tonight I want to look at that. What does it look like to listen and to look for God in our circumstances? And not only that, to stay there, to find him there and then to share that with others. I don't know if you've noticed whether you're walking with Jesus now, you're yet to meet him, or whether you've been doing it for a long time and your shoes are worn from the many journeys you've been on. There's this sense in which when you follow Jesus, it's like heaven and earth meet all the time. Um, There's a, a way in which following Jesus means that we engage in a world much more, not intensely, but just in a different way. There's more life. I feel like particularly the culture we live in encourages us to escape life constantly. There's many avenues to do that no matter where you go. Um, You can get home and jump on Netflix for a few hours and that's it. That's all it takes. Or on your phone. There's always a moment to escape. But when you follow Jesus, it's like this constant invitation to actually go deeper, to live more deeply, to actually be aware of what's really going on, not just in your life, but in the lives around you. And I love that. I actually think that's a real gift. And there's so much power in it. I want to change our perspective a little bit. I want us to think about our lives, not just as these circumstances or moments we found ourselves in, but actually that our lives are made up of encounters with God and his kingdom. What if we saw life that way? 
kind of changes it a little bit, I think. And why can we be confident that God is moving in this time and place? Well, because of what Jesus did. When he came, he talked about bringing and declaring the kingdom. He said the kingdom is at hand. And that was established when he rose from the, from the grave. And it will become, we'll see it in its fullness when he returns. But it's not like we live in this time where it's not here. It actually is here. The kingdom is here. And so it stands to say that God is turning up in your life. The kingdom is in your life. It's in the stories written in your life. I love that the God we serve is alive. He's not absent. His heart is to be with us. That's what it was like in the Garden of Eden when it began, when he set up creation. He wanted to walk alongside us always. But sin and what that created meant that there was a gap, that we couldn't actually walk with him anymore. But what Jesus did was shorten that gap and break it in a way so that we can actually have relationship with him. He wants to dwell with us. His kingdom comes when his will is done here and now in your life and in our city and in this place. He desires to be so close, as it says in Revelation, so close that he can wipe away every tear. And his heart is that we wouldn't experience that pain or suffering anymore. He is present in your life. You're encountering him. Whether you see it or not, he's speaking, he's leading, he's moving. And it's so significant when we take time to look at that and remember that. I want to look at the book of James to explore this further. Um, If you want to look it up in the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 847. Um, I will throw it up on the screen, but I'm going to refer to it a few times, so it might be worth having in front of you. If you're new to reading the Bible, it's towards the back, after the Gospels and a few other books. There's only five chapters in this little book, but do you know what? They're pretty uh, punchy, I think is the word that's been described for James. Um, In the Greek, his name is actually Jacob, and he is actually or was actually the half-brother of Jesus. Um, And it's really cool to see how much he loved Jesus and admired him because so much of what he talks about is actually what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You can hear it echoed throughout the passages. Not only that, he grew up in a time where he read the Proverbs and Psalms, and so Proverbs is actually linked with this too. So there's lots of like little nuggets throughout James of his beautiful wisdom and um, like metaphors and sentences. Some of them you might know if you're familiar um, with the Bible and have read it before. There's many in there. And there's something a bit different about this letter, though. It starts off addressing a people, um, just as Paul's letters do, but what changes it is it's not directed at a specific issue in a particular place. It's actually directed to all followers of Jesus. And so it has quite an impact even here and now. Um, And I would just say watch out. If you read this book... Um, He really gets into your business and wants you to live life following Jesus. So it's a good book um, and worth exploring. So let's have a quick look at chapter one and some of the verses there. So verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. In verse 4, um, the net version uh, talks about it a little bit differently. It says differently. It says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. And that word perfect um, in the Greek actually refers to a sense of wholeness. And James proceeds to use that word seven times throughout his book, which is a lot when there's only five chapters. So you feel like he's trying to get your attention with that. What he's saying to us through this passage and through his book is that often we actually live um, fractured lives. That there are inconsistencies in our character. Sometimes we want to do something, but we end up doing something different depending on what motivates us or what's within us. And we all have that. There's things that we not hide, but maybe aren't aware of. We feel a bit more compromised than we would want to say in some things in our lives. And so James is fully aware of that. He knew how hard it was to live in this world. He was actually martyred not long after he wrote this book. And the church he was leading at the time was heavily persecuted. And so he writes with a lot of authority when he talks about the fact that we live fractured lives. But not only that, he's wanting us to recognize that in our circumstances, in the trials that we face, there's actually a gift because God wants to bring wholeness in those places. He wants to make us whole again, not to live as fractured people. And what does wholeness look like? It's reconciliation to God. I don't know if you've noticed, but whenever God takes you through a circumstance or something that you're wrestling with, it often ends up with you having to choose to trust that God is who he says he is. And in that moment when you do, he comes closer. And there's a confidence in that. It's always about reconciliation with him. That's his heart. He wants us, he wants to live with us. Sometimes it requires us to remain in our circumstances, though, to find that. And I really value James and the way that he talks about this and the fact that down in verse 13, he just lets us know and reminds us that these circumstances or trials that we find ourselves in are not actually caused by God. He said in verse 13, For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So it's not the circumstances that we find God. What's the word? Creation. That actually we find God in our circumstances. We seek him in them. The message version says of verse 4, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Ooh. (laughs) I don't know about you, but when I'm in an uncomfortable situation or circumstance, my two defaults are I'm going to control it so I can change it or I'm going to escape. Anyone can relate? Can you relate? Yes. Yeah, great. Um, But actually what James is saying is like, no, remain here. And I want to ask you as well, what if the circumstances you currently find in your life, whether they seem really hard or they're pretty crazy, but what if the circumstances of your life are actually the perfect soil to produce the fruit that God would have your life produce? 
We've been talking a lot about seeds at Red recently. What if it's actually remaining there, not running for them? And what if the Father is waiting and wanting to meet you in them? Henry Nguyen says, that small, seemingly insignificant events, ideas, and life circumstances can become occasions to discern God's will and calling in your life. Both inner and outer events and circumstances can be read and interpreted as signposts, leading to a deeper understanding of the way the Spirit of God is working in our daily lives. We have the freedom and responsibility to look at our lives with the eyes of faith and a heart of trust, believing that God cares and is active in our lives. We have the freedom and responsibility to look at our lives with the eyes of faith and a heart of trust, believing that God cares and is active in our lives. There's a choice that we can make to see our circumstances in a certain way. I really value this, past, this um, quote. And I think, I just also like the way that Henry's like, it can be in the small things. It doesn't have to be these major events in our life, like when we potentially lose a um, loved one or find ourselves without a job or without a home, but actually in some of the smaller decisions that we have to make about how we interact in friendships or family relationships that we have, the struggles and wrestles there, how can we see God in those moments? And suffering, we all encounter that. Living in this world, you can't escape it. And sometimes, actually, most of the time, it's actually thrust upon us. But what does it look like to sit in that, to not run from it? It's hard to say, but sometimes, as we go through suffering, that can be the most fruitful part of our lives. When we step into the pain of our own suffering or the pain of others. It's hard to be there, but God is there also. I grew up um, playing basketball. It was actually my favorite thing to do. I started when I was six and loved it. And I was like, I'm gonna play for Australia and I'm gonna just, this is gonna be life, I'm gonna earn money this way. You know, good dreams to have when you're six. Um, But continued to actually play for most of my childhood and um, decided I wanted to go to college in the US. And so went to a particular high school to make that more likely. Chose particular subjects to make it possible. And in the end, I actually did get the opportunity to go and live overseas and play college basketball. I thought it was gonna be great. I was like, yes, what an adventure. I've always wanted to do this. This is definitely where I'm headed. Um, So I'm 18 and I jump on a plane and fly far too long to get to um, the US, end up in college, in my dorm room, exhausted. And I was a little bit struck by the fact that I had just flown around the world and found myself in a completely new place. My circumstances had totally changed. And to be honest, I felt incredibly alone. I happened to be living in a dorm, as I said, and so I lived with my teammates. And you would think that would be great, except that your teammates are competing with you. So 
a little bit tough to live alongside people who want to compete with you. I, yeah, just found it a really tough environment. And there are good stories about people that go to college, let me just say that. But for me, it was really hard. And I realized that I didn't really have anyone else to lean on except God. It made me actually realize how important my faith was. I think prior to that, I had actually been dependent on my parents' faith. There was a gap in my relationship with God there. But this made me turn to him and actually call out to him. And I began to hear God in a whole new way. But it was really hard. I remember it had been about four weeks um, living there, which felt like an eternity at the time, and um, had the opportunity to go to church. So I didn't have a car, so I actually couldn't use, I couldn't get off campus. But there was a family there who ran the Fellowship of the Christian Athletes, which was great. Really small, um, but so good to go to on a Thursday night. And they offered to take me to church on a Sunday. And I remember walking into this church in um, the US and actually just began to cry as soon as I walked through the doors. I was like, oh, I'm home. God, you're here. I'm not alone. I was so thankful for that. But everything within me wanted to leave. But I didn't. And in that moment, it felt like I encountered a lot of fractures in my life. It was really key for my faith, as I said, because it changed from being my parents' faith to my own. But this sense of loneliness was pretty strong. And so I had to sit with God in that. And to be honest, he has healed a lot of that. And I'm so thankful for the way that I encountered him and the way that he taught me how to hear his voice in a whole new way. And that I actually began to own my own faith. It was a significant thing. But there's still places that he's healing in that. Even this week, he reminded me of something from that time. But these fractures in our life, he wants to heal. He wanted to heal that one in me. And what if there are some in your life that he's wanting to heal? Yes, he is wanting to restore. But it requires for us to remain. And to ask for help in those moments. As James said, if you don't have wisdom, ask for it. Seek it. God gives graciously. And what are we asked to do? in that. Be confident in who God is. That's actually wisdom. God is the same God who created the earth. He said he is faithful. We can read about the stories in the Bible that affirm that, but also it's really important for us to remember ways in his, our life that he's already done that. He wants us to ask him for wisdom. And we're meant to follow Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see Jesus in what would be incredibly difficult circumstances. He's actually about to go to the cross and die. But even in that, he still cries out to God. Even though he knows where he's going, he still asks for him to help him, to lift it. And we are meant to do the same. We're designed to respond to God in those moments, not just to our circumstances. Because again, our temptation is to control or manipulate the situation. We're not meant to just be passive. We're meant to ask him, where, where are you right now, God? That's what Jesus did. Father, 
please take this from me. He spoke to him knowing that he was close. God, what are you teaching me through this? The circumstances in our life expose the fractures that we have. But God doesn't want us just to stay there. It's not just an exercise in poking at our weaknesses. That's not the God that I know and that's not the God that you know. And that's not the God that we read about in the Bible. He never operates in isolation. He can't go against his character. If he said he will be faithful, he'll be faithful to you. And there's some scriptures and things that we need to remember and hold on to in those moments. For me, often it's that loneliness fear that came up in college. And recently that scripture, I will never leave you or forsake you, has been my sword. I remember arguing with the enemy in the kitchen last week about this. <laughs> Having to actually say, no, you're telling me, that's a lie, I'm not alone. Because the Father will never leave me or forsake me. So in our circumstances, although these cracks may emerge, although life often puts bruises on us, cuts, all these different things, and that will continue to happen because we live in this world, but we can have a hope because Jesus will return and it won't always be this way. But again, God doesn't leave us in the here and now because the kingdom is at hand. So when we respond to him and we let him come close, and we let Jesus show us what it looks like to respond and surrender, God can bring wholeness. As I was writing this, um, I was reminded of the Japanese art of kintsugi. And um, some of you maybe know it, it's the art of um, repairing broken pottery with this particular um, lacquer that's mixed with gold. And so the idea is it's not an attempt to hide or the damage, but actually the repair is illuminated. It treats breakage and repair as a part of the history of an object rather than something, yeah, to disguise. And this is what it looks like. This is what happens to us. This is the wholeness that God wants to bring. These golden rivers run through our hearts and our souls and our lives, made by the hand of the Creator. And what was meant for harm is actually seen as good, and there's beauty in it. We are marked by them. And every time that we respond to God in our circumstances, as Jesus did, it's like another river is created, another mark is formed. Jesus in the garden cried out to God. In that space, he surrendered. He surrendered to death, to that separation from God. That is actually what grieved him the most. And that's what grieves us as we encounter these circumstances, difficult that they may be. There's an invitation to surrender. Kind of feels a bit countercultural. It kind of feels like if I surrender, then what? What's going to defend me? But we need to follow Jesus in that. He surrendered. But also, 
in his surrender, he had faith because he knew that God would raise him and would bring life. And so we also have that, that when we surrender, often we experience freedom, faith, and life because it represents these little moments of Jesus' resurrection power in our lives when we do it. These little intercepts of kingdom within our hearts that leave gold marks upon our lives. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Our circumstances can change in a moment. We can be thrown into so many different things. Yet we always have a choice. We can seek God in those circumstances, look for him, listen for him. Not only that, we can stay, can stay and remain and respond to him. And finally, we're called to share. We're designed to be storytellers of what happens when we stay. In the Gospels, there's a story of Andrew and John and they are desperate to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to them, what are you looking for? And they said, Rabbi, where do you live? And Jesus said, come and see. They stayed with him. Later, Andrew shared with his brother Simon what they had seen and heard. And so Simon came to Jesus. We're meant to be like Andrew, sharing who Jesus is. Can you imagine him going to his brother, being like, guess what? I met the Messiah, it's Jesus, he's great, you should meet him, he's a pretty cool guy. You definitely need to come, you need to come and see. The way he speaks, it's incredible. I've never felt so much peace than when I've been in the presence of this man. All power, there's this weird thing, this is all that he carries. Come and see him. Thank goodness that Andrew did that. Because as we know, if you've read the Bible, Simon um, is renamed as Peter. And Peter established so many churches and did so many great things for the kingdom. Andrew looked for Jesus. He stayed with him and then he shared about who he was. We're meant to do the same. We're meant to be storytellers. These patterns, these golden patterns upon our lives tell story of who God is. And when you share these stories, there's power in them. Again, the kingdom intersects. Because the people that don't follow Jesus also encounter these circumstances, but they don't have any hope. If you don't know Jesus, I don't even understand what it's like to live without Jesus. When you share these stories, it's like you're giving them a signpost. Something that they can choose to look at and follow and find Jesus themselves. I recently found myself um, going to the Navy. <laughs> Bit random. But actually, my mum's a chaplain in the Navy, which is pretty cool. Um, and she invited me to go along and just go down to the base. She was running a service. And I was like, why not? I'll go and check it out, support her. Um, and this particular service is actually um, specifically for the recruits. Um, and the recruits are the people who turn up kind of like, yeah, fresh and enter into the Navy. They're usually in recruit school, I think for about 11 to 12 weeks. And do you know what? It's pretty hectic, um, as you can imagine. 
the idea is that you're completely broken down to be rebuilt. Um, they're about 17 to 25 in age, although there's some outliers of that. And um, as I just said, with the environment they're in, you can imagine that their fractures in their life come up pretty quickly when you're exhausted and pushed to the end of yourself. And so it was this really interesting moment where I was sitting in this room watching them come through the door. And every time each one of them entered, it's almost like a whole weight was lifted off them. And it reminded me of when I was in college. And I just, I didn't even realize this was gonna happen. But I remembered that feeling of being completely exhausted and feeling so alone. These recruits have been, at the time, um, at the base for about four weeks and haven't actually had opportunity to spend time with family. They've come from interstate and they've been thrown into a whole new world where they are basically told what to do at what time all the time. And so they were incredibly fragile. And yeah, I remember sitting there just thinking, wow, I can feel your pain and your fear. And all of a sudden I felt this compassion rise in me. Because as I said, I was like, I remember that. And there was an opportunity for them to share some testimony of what's been happening. And it was really amazing. People jumped up time and again and told it in different ways. We're basically like, I can't believe how much I didn't realize how much I needed faith or Jesus until I was doing this. Same story over and over again. And for me, that compassion grew as the night went on because I could see the pain. But also within me, I was like, I know this story. I have a gold mark from this. I've seen where God can heal and that actually he doesn't leave you in these places. And I thought, what a gift that I get to be here and witnessing that. And I just wanted to jump up and tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. It's all going to work out. God hasn't left you in this place. And he never will. We are designed to have compassion for people. And that's what happens when we allow God to transform our circumstances. We carry these gifts around. It might happen to be compassion at that point. But for you, it might be a little bit different. And our ability to share and tell story isn't just verbal. Sometimes it's the way that we react to things. An opportunity to give someone grace because that's what the Father gave you in a circumstance. Or you have this incredible ability to have this deep peace in really stressful situations or moments People are going to notice that. Why can you, how are you so at peace? Then there's an opportunity to be like, well, actually, I've met Jesus in a place like this before, and he wants to meet you and give you his peace. Each time you do this, whether you share it, whether you tell it as a story, something significant happens. The kingdom intersects again in our lives and the people that you're sharing it with. As you speak about it, it's like Jesus comes to life. And again, I'm so thankful that we follow a God who is alive and well. This isn't a stagnant thing. He is alive now. He is still establishing the kingdom and it's happening in your life. And it's powerful to, to share that with others. To be a part of declaring the kingdom. So much authority comes when you share your story. Because testimony can't be disputed. It's your story. It happened. It's real. It's live. 
And this is an ongoing thing that we have as we follow Jesus. Sometimes it can feel relentless, but actually, as James says, there's a gift in that. There's power in it. Abraham Heschel, who's a Jewish theologian, said that faith is not clinging to a shrine, but an endless pilgrimage of the heart. That's what it feels like. More areas that God wants to heal and restore. As I was reflecting on all of James for this message, there were many things that stood out, but probably one of my most favorite parts was from chapter four, verse five. And it says, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? He jealously longs for that because he longs for us to be home with him. This is the ongoing nature of following Jesus. And it says in 2 Corinthians that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so this longing that God has is for you to have freedom, for more spirit to dwell in your life, to bring more healing, not just to your life, but to those around you as you share it, like Andrew going to get Simon. There are so many stories in this room. And what does the kingdom look like here in Melbourne? It looks like what God's doing in your life and how he's coming to meet you there. And you being able to share that with others and say, come and see him. He can do the same in yours. And so I want to encourage you to know your story. To look at your life. Seek God in it. And there are different ways you can do that. Perhaps journaling is a really helpful thing for you. Maybe you already do it. There could be opportunity to actually go back over your journals and be like, hey, actually, God, where have you been? What are you saying? Again, he doesn't work in isolation. He's, he's telling a story. He adds to things, the depth, the strength of it. There's a narrative going on in your life. Or maybe talking to a friend or even asking them, hey, can you just reflect back to me? What's God been doing in my life? Can you help me see? Or maybe even just taking moments to reflect end of the day end of the month. What does that look like? Or you could even write it out, like a story, if that's something that would work to bring to mind. It's so important that we can remember it and retell it, because that's part of spreading the kingdom and speaking about who Jesus is. Not just saying, oh yeah, he was a guy that died on a cross a while ago, but actually know this Jesus that you read about, that kingdom power intersects in my life time and again. Let me tell you how. I want to end with a prayer, and it comes from a book by Henry Nguyen. I'd love to pray this over you, if you'd like. So I'll get you all to stand. If you'd like to receive it, please open up your hands and close your eyes. Absolutely no pressure. But I have found this to be a really powerful prayer, and now I'll pray it myself regularly. So let me go ahead and do that for you. Please, Lord Jesus, join us on the road. Enter into our closed rooms and take away our foolishness. Open our minds and hearts to the great mystery of your active presence in our lives and give us the courage to help others discover your presence in theirs. Amen.